Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hey there, Colson Lechner interrupting again, providing just a quick preface for this episode. I just wanted to let you know that the following content, while it's not derogatory or inappropriate, it is intended for adult listeners concerning the topic of sex and sexuality in the Bible. Now, obviously, use your own discretion, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and here we go. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg, Chris Sherrod, and Bryn Starnes. And guys... Uh, Chris Shear just brought this up. We've been doing this for about a year. <laughs> Yay. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Another year older. That's right. <laughs> and deeper in debt. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song reference then. Oh, I, I actually mean, don't know that. You don't know that one? No. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You ever heard 16 tons? <laughs> I haven't. Great old song. That's an old oh, song. <laughs> 16 tons. I'm looking at it after. Oh, it's brilliant. Tennessee we'll listen Ernie to it. Ford. It is um, great song. Well, anyway. if, if you love that song, write us. <laughs> let us know. Exactly. Um, we're we're continuing our uh, our conversation with sexuality. Um, we will... Which is kind of a subtopic yeah. already of the topic of... Is the Bible immoral by today's standards? Yes. Thank you for yep. getting me out of that brain fart. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we, uh, uh, yeah. And so obviously one of the th- areas of deconstruction for people, because that's a heading under our overarching heading of right. deconstruction. And a lot of times people deconstruct based on like this is, but this is what I'm experiencing sexually Mm-hmm. Or we've talked about how the two worldviews, the Freudian worldview and the biblical worldview, come in conflict with each other. That mm-hmm. the ultimate happiness is sexual, whatever, and which is a kind of the Freudian view. Yeah. And then the biblical view, which is greatest satisfaction comes from knowing our Creator and being known by Him, which does come with restrictions to our behavior and our attitudes and of all kinds, including sexuality. Yeah. Um. And so as we've kind of unwrapped these and realized it's kind of, we talk about how at, you know, at our church, we, we don't want unnecessary barriers. Right. Um, and that's, I think I feel a lot like a lot of what we did is this is, as the beginning of this whole part of the podcast, the, the, is the Bible biblical, is the Bible immoral by today's standards was about removing unnecessary. And we'll get to, and we've talked some in the past about like science, the attitude about science, which mm-hmm. a lot of people have unnecessary barriers to the faith in science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I was realizing we've got to talk about politics because I think politics is an unnecessary barrier. People go, I don't want to go mm-hmm. to that church. They're a bunch of, you know, Republicans like, well, you don't, you don't actually know that. And that's not how that works. That's not the mm-hmm. direction that happens. And, um, or, or they're a bunch of Democrats. I don't want to make an assumption yeah, about yeah, that. I yeah, think probably yeah. that's not the, the assumption most people make about evangelical churches, but, um, anyway, And so that's an example of, and I think those are about moving unnecessary barriers. I think when we're talking about sex, one of the things we've run into, even just the four of us is realizing some of these aren't unnecessary barriers in that they may be unnecessary barriers to the faith, 
But the Bible really does call a different behavior yeah. from us. And so and that's, it demands and, that of and us. That can, and that really grinds against the culture of, well, if you don't approve of what I'm doing, you hate me. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, you know, I think it'd be great for us to spend a few minutes, though we talked about before, looking at some of what are sometimes called clobber mm-hmm. passages. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's that's not the biblical name for them. They're just Gosh. Bible passages. But right. yeah. they're ones that seem to condemn certain behaviors, and often in particular homosexual behaviors is where yeah. this kind of shows up. Um, and then talk a little bit about those. What do they say and why do we have the conclusions that we do? And then even maybe more importantly, talk about how we talk about these things with our friends and family and and maybe where we've been off in some of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. all right, clobber passages, is that where we're going? I think that's where we're at. All right. So I got a favorite? Yeah, what are ones that feel like you've Friends got them. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Bryn? <laughs> yes, all of them. No. Um, I was just going to say, um, I think we talked about this, but one of the reasons it's important to tackle this is because I really do feel like a lot of this is a deconstruction point for a lot of people. Like this is right. mm-hmm. something that that is understandably where they get stuck when it comes to, can I trust scripture? Does God know what right. he's talking about? And, um, and even... And like we can talk about later, some of the time, sometimes it's just how Christians have handled the issues, not even the issues themselves. But, but I think this, at least with a lot of our friends, we've seen this is something that, that is a roadblock for them, the view that scripture has. And so I think from a deconstruction standpoint, it's another reason that we need to tackle it um, yeah. as difficult as it is. But, and I think too, is as long as, People are, well, you think even just about basic human needs or behavior is if you've got one set of voices affirming you and saying, we love you, we accept you, no matter what, come hang out with us versus the other side condemning you and saying, we went no part with you. You have no, unless you totally change everything. You're not, and then like, what would you, what would you naturally, right. which group right. would you naturally go hang out with or yeah. go to? And it's. So I think a lot of the response is there have been really bad representations of people not speaking the truth in love. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why I mean, we're going to turn oh, a lot sorry, of people off. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's, that's just, why we're going to talk about clobbered them. Yeah. 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 And so we're going to talk about what, <coughs> how we feel like scripture actually talks about it and then talk about when it comes to interactions, how we interact with others, even if we disagree on what the scripture says about this? Is that so how you would... Should we all turn first to that passage that says that all gay people are going to hell? Oh that, my gosh. That well-known passage that clearly says that yes. that's the one sin. The, um, the one sin. The one sin that sends people to hell. Okay, let's yeah. uh, let's turn over. You might know where that one is. Yeah, I, don't, oh, I can't well, find it either. It doesn't exist. That's because it's it not there. It doesn't exist. How about that? Um, the one that says that gay, that homosexual sin is worse than the other sins. Let's mm-hmm. let's find that one. Mm-hmm. Let's dig for that one first, okay. Nope, nope, I'm not finding that either. I'm, I'm not. Or that God hates gay people. God hates gay people? Surely Gosh. that's in there. No? Y'all are telling me that's not in there either? So that and when guess, Christians claim that's in the Bible, mm. they're either being ignorant or dishonest, or they're putting words into God's mouth. To mm. support their hatred. To support their hatred. Yeah. I wonder if there's a verse in the Bible that says you're not supposed to add things to the Bible, though. <laughs> yeah, there's, there is one of those. Um so yeah, that's. I think it's a good place to recognize. We're going to look at the places where the yeah. Bible does call, does seem to call homosexuality sin. Yes, mm-hmm. 
And I guess that if, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, well, if you don't approve of what I'm doing, then you hate me. Then could you call that perceived hatred? Yeah, but it's like, sure. but, but so we're not saying that the Bible says that you, <coughs> that yeah, the Bible does not say God hates gay people, Mm-mm. but mm-hmm. if you feel hated because of that, how it, or you're talking to somebody who feels hated because of that, mm. because of the lack of approval. I don't know. How do we, yeah. how do you, how do you lovingly address that point of like, yes, but, but now this, this is the whole, okay, well, if you're not, if you don't agree with me, mm-hmm. then you hate me. Right. It's like, but, and maybe, maybe I'm straying too far right now. Maybe we talk about the clever <laughs> the verses, verses and then we first, come back and then talk about to that. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to start with the verses that aren't there. Okay. The clever yeah, verses yeah, yeah. that don't exist. Yeah. And yes. there's a whole lot of, I would tell anyone out there when you're involved in this conversation, no matter where you are on the side of the conversation, when someone quotes scripture or claims to know God's heart on a matter, mm-hmm. then I think you just need to have them show that to you mm-hmm. in the Bible. Yeah. And, and, I, and cause a lot of the things, as we've said all along, there's, there's a lot of people who represent a God that I don't believe in either. Mm-hmm. Um, the God they represent does, I think does not exist unless it's just them. And so no, no one gets to do that. No one gets to, to, to claim the Bible says stuff it doesn't say, or that it doesn't say things that it does say. We can discuss and debate certain areas to go, yeah. does it say this or not? And we can be on different pages on that. And that's actually can be very healthy. Um, but I, I really wanted to start with, yeah. I mean, there's some not, things, yeah. it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, is not, can you, can you be gay and be a Christian? Mm. And the, you know, we def- I think we mentioned before, if you define yeah. that as attracted to the same sex, well, yeah, we're all attract. We all have unhealthy attractions or even sinful desires or, but, but so, so could someone, is there a sin that someone can commit that somehow is the one magic sin that keeps them from being a Christian even after conversion? And I would say, no, there is no such sin. Um, Christ's sacrifice is once for all, all sins. And so we don't ever get to condemn anyone to hell. It is our one of our jobs as Christians to try to follow what Christ teaches and to take that very seriously. Sin is not, nothing we say is meant to minimize the sin and yeah. what sin is and its damage for us spiritually and for the people and the God's people seriously and the offense against him for it. But that's not the same thing as saying, therefore, if you have the sin in your life, you're going to hell. Um, if you have put your faith in Christ to save you, he is competent to save you past your sin. And I think that's, uh, we don't want to minimize either one. Sin is matter. Sin matters and sin is important, but, uh, and, and it's, it's something that we needed salvation from, Mm -hmm. but the thought that it's the greatest power in this whole conversation Mm -hmm. is not right. So, so let's, I guess let's look at the ones that are there and I think that'll be, that'll be good. So let's jump out. What do you got? I mean, I think the, this may not be a direct passage, but I think people go to Sodom and Gomorrah okay. when they talk about um, at least the actions of homosexuality, but it's not like an actual law in Scripture. Right. So what's the story of... The, so I'm going to tell the quick story of well, Sodom and Gomorrah. Story of, I mean... Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family lived there, and God was 
about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Mm-hmm. And it the passage, if I'm remembering correctly, seems to indicate that um, a lot of the sin that the men of the city engaged in was homosexuality because they were... There was like rape involved also. Yeah, but it's an intriguing in the, passage. In, because, gen, in Genesis 19, I believe. Right. Yeah. So in Genesis 19, unless somebody else wants to take this, um, it is it is important to know, like, the, the idea is that these two angels show up to decide how and whether to judge Sodom. Mm-hmm. And so um, there were three, and one of them is apparently... God himself in some form, and he stays behind and hangs out with Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And the two go on ahead to Sodom to evaluate, does this city deserve immediate judgment? Mm-hmm. And they show up, Lot sees them, he invites them in his house, um, he tells them not to stay the night in the town square, he says, tells them that not that's not safe, he hides them in their house, mm-hmm. and the, it says in verse 4, uh, of 19, but before they could lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them, the euphemism for mm-hmm. have sex with them. Lot went to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Um... We're not going to discuss there's a lot. Lots. Of things yeah, going there's on in so this. much in this. Um, it's just hard for us to even wrap our brain around. Only do nothing to these men. They've come under the shelter of my roof, but but they said, "Stand back." And they said, "This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them." Meaning, they're talking about Lot. They pressed hard against the door and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance both small and great, so they wore themselves out groping for the door. But then it's mentioned in Jude, right? Which is why people conclude that part of the punishment was because of... You'll jump over to that? Jude 1, 7. Um, <clears throat> just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example of those undergoing punishment by fire. Right. So that's why people assume like the combination of those two things. Right. So it it does seem like there were several sins going on that Sodom got punished for. Um, And Gomorrah. The other one that people bring up is Ezekiel. That's right. Yep. And this is the one that actually, I think it's a, it's a really good example of people, um, twisting or, or cherry picking on the other side, because people will say, actually their real sin was in hospitality, right? That they weren't being uh, hospitable to these people who were visiting them. They just wanted to interrogate them um, because uh, it says in Ezekiel 16, 49, behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. And they stopped there. And they're right. like, see, that's the real problem. God destroyed. Um, that's why God destroyed Sodom. And my initial response is, um, do any of those sins sound like that's why God would destroy an entire city? Like, has has that ever happened before where people were prosperous and didn't sh- like that? That doesn't sound like something that merits up there with God destroying a city. But then if you read the next verse, 
it says they were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Right. And I think a lot of people don't want to talk about the next verse. Where So the only thing that we know that's called an abomination that we know them and we're practicing right. or wanted to practice was homosexuality. And so I think that's a verse that gets twisted on the other side of people trying to make it sound like it really wasn't homosexuality. It was the fact that they were inhospitable or, right. you know, prideful or whatever, but they don't notice what it says there, which they were guilty of a lot of things. Right. Yeah. But I think clearly they wanted to gang rape. It's it's pretty clear they wanted to gang rape the, um, the visitors. Right. Which the argument I think has also been made that, you know, that it wasn't the fact that it was homosexuality. It was the fact that it was rape, you know, right. like going back to the consensual conversation of like the some people would say the context indicates it was the nature of um that it wasn't consensual. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is which is clearly part of it. Yeah. Um again, if they had I, I don't think they were all that less guilty if they came and were beating down the door because they wanted lots of daughters. Right, right. And so I think I think what you have is sexual immorality expressed mm-hmm. in at every level in this yeah. passage, inhospitality, which is which is punishable by death in Middle Eastern culture often, mm-hmm. and yet it's not one or the other. It is all of this. They this was just a horrible people. Yeah. At every level, um, I, I, I jokingly tell people the moral of this story is when two angels show up to your town uh, to try to evaluate whether or not your town should be burned to ash, don't. Don't seek to gang rape them. Like that's the, <laughs> the moral of the story. That, that's the moral of the story. Don't Ooh. gang rape the angels who show up to judge your town. Gosh. Um, <laughs> so that was that's like a verse that that people have referenced, but it's not the primary verse it, that it, we build the no, theology. Not at all. And if it, yeah. if that was all that was there, I would say, given the Ezekiel passage Chris referenced, given what we know of the whole big picture, given the non-consensual nature. Yeah. I would agree that would be muddy yeah. as, as yeah. an argument by itself. Right. Um, but the fact that the word abomination is used in Ezekiel, and that is the word that's used back in Leviticus 18 mm-hmm. uh, and 19, that is linked, that is used for homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, it's used for homosexuality only yeah. in that passage. So that so, would definitely be a cross-reference that you wouldn't want to ignore by any means. Yeah. So then is the next logical <laughs> one Leviticus 18, or what's the next... Mm-hmm. more direct passage in the Old Testament. Is I that... think so. Yeah. And we've, so. we have kind of, a, I feel like we've kind of unpacked sexual immorality and, and, you know, if these were, if this was, if this only was in the, the deep Hebrew scriptures, we might, in the Levitical law, you know, about don't do this and also don't eat shellfish and don't trim your beards and don't, you know, whatever. I think if it was by itself, we would again be in a position to have a lot more open interpretation of it mm-hmm. um yeah and but i will add if ahead. i could please do it, it is clear sometimes what helps is to look at this the the uh, surrounding um commands yep and what some of the punishments were for the particular sins kind of let you know that they feel a little weightier as far as a little more god takes them more serious very correct so in leviticus 18 um the command about not to lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination, is sandwiched in between child sacrifice and bestiology. Uh, bestiality. Right. So even those those things let you know, like, that's like a different, uh, almost category 
the whole context of this chapter is dealing with <laughs> unlawful sexual relations and things you shouldn't do and relatives and, and, you know, stuff like that. But even just those things surrounding it feels a little more serious. Right. As you're reading it. And then again, if you look at the, the, the punishment for some of these later on, or also let you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's almost like when we talk about it, is it a worse sin? It's just like jumping off of your one story roof versus jumping off a fourth story roof. Like there's bigger effects or ripple effects or consequences that are more damaging. You know what I'm saying? Like there's some sins, mm-hmm. all sin is sin. Right. But at the same time, there's some that are way more of a, okay, this is going to bring way more heartache or is way more serious or you're oh, violating yeah. someone even worse. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like rape versus other sins. It's like, okay, yeah, all sin is sin, but rape, mm-hmm. you're violating someone in right. a different way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So even just the heaviness, I think, is um, something even. And I don't know if we've gotten all, if we've if we've really spent the time, and maybe we have, and I'm not remembering it on the difference between criminal and immoral. Right. So we mentioned it. In we did episode. some. So yeah. like adultery is immoral, mm-hmm. but it's obviously not criminal in America, and I don't know how I would even feel about it being made criminal in a, in America. Certainly, fornication. Sex with someone you're not married to, so sex before marriage, mm-hmm. for example, that would that is immoral by Christian and biblical standards. Would I want there to be a law that throws people in prison or fines them for doing that? I don't know. That would be an, an, for consensually doing that. I think there is a, a there is a, a standard that's tough for us to wrestle through with what we want the law to to be, which is mostly about protecting people's mm-hmm. rights and less about limiting people's freedoms just as from a legal perspective, but there are responsibilities and limitations of freedom that do come from moral behaviors. Um, So I know that's not a neat and clean thing, but when someone says, you know, it's not illegal and are you saying it should be illegal that, that we shouldn't be allowed legally to engage in certain behaviors? I don't know. That's a separate, a little bit of a different conversation. What we're talking about now is what does the Bible teach about it to Mm -hmm. those who are trying to follow God morally from yeah. biblical standards. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the Leviticus ones, which we, I think we have unpacked that one because we went through them. Well, and I think just, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but I think Leviticus is the passage that people say like, Hey, the Bible actually doesn't use the word homosexuality in the old Testament. Like, have you heard, I've heard that often, but I think it's in relation to Leviticus. I forget which passage it is, but I think it's, it's worth noting that like, a lot of times people use the argument that that the word homosexuality is not used here in the right. translation. And so it's a miss when it comes to theology. But if you look at what the the words around it are actually indicating, it's still like a man laying with a man as he does. You know, like yeah. even if the word is not there, it's still indicating the type of relationship. But I think it's fair that when people say like, well word homosexuality is not used there. Like, yeah, sometimes it's that that's not an accurate translation, but that doesn't mean contextually that it's not describing that act. Does that right, make sense? Right. Yeah. Because I've yeah. heard that a lot of, um, you know, you have to be careful even what you're saying. The Bible is saying, if that makes sense. Right. I had someone argue with me with that, about that this summer. I tried to say that's not even in there. Yeah. Which it's also, first of all, like saying, well, the word Bible isn't in the Bible or the word <laughs> Trinity is in the Bible. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, but is it taught? Right. And so 
well, obviously a translation is going to be a translation. Yeah, I was going to say the word murder isn't in the Bible because that's an English word. Like yeah. the Hebrew word for murder is used. The Greek word for murder is used. And this is the Hebrew way of describing homosexuality. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not like, it's not unclear. Um, that would be, I think they're much better. If I was trying to argue against calling homosexuality sin, that's not a path I would take. I don't think you're going to get very far. I think that's, that's clearly. Yeah. The fact that an English word doesn't appear, and and someone would say, but the Hebrew word for it doesn't. This this is a good Hebrew way of describing yeah. a man lying, a male lying with a male as with a woman. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's that is a a clear Hebrew way of describing. That's even better than bring them out so that we may know them. Like that's even better than right. It's even more clear than that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Next passage. Anybody? So that one that one does teach homosexuality, homosexual acts in the heading of sexual immorality, Leviticus from Leviticus 18, of which we talked about before. There are five there, and homosexuality is one of those five. And is referenced enough in the New Testament. Well, that's what we need to look at those next, right? Okay. <laughs> we need to look at the clobber, the it, New Testament clobber passages. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it is called an abomination there. Yes, it is. Leviticus 20 says the same thing, 20. Right. 2013. Okay. What else we got? Looking at New Testament yet? Are we jumping into the New Testament I think now? so. Are there any, I mean, there's not a ton in the Old Testament, right? Well, and that's part of it is because, and I think this is, this is okay. You know, I have a, on my website, I've got a, a lengthy article responding to a book that was written about the clobber passages mm -hmm. and, and from the homosexual, defending homosexual behavior, looking at the clobber passages. Like biblically. Yeah. <clears throat> and and I, I don't I don't mean this fully. There is a sense in which, of course, the Old Testament passages are a little bit of a straw man when you're talking to a Christian, because obviously we don't necessarily believe that all the Old Testament passages apply directly to us um, right. morally or ethically or legally. And so we have to interpret them through the lens of Jesus Christ and the New Testament writers. And so it's easy to say, yes, I, I, I'm willing to go with you that if all that existed was the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Leviticus 18 and 20, mm -hmm. I would agree with you that, that it would be, it would be hard pressed for a Christian to defend that homosexuality is sin. And, and again, we said this, I think in the last podcast, I have no desire to argue that homosexuality is sin. I would love to argue yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Um, it's not that I'm going like, Oh, I'm looking for ways to argue that homosexuality is sin. No, I, I, I'm trying to figure out ways that it might not be. Yeah. But I, but it is a higher priority to me to be faithful to what Scripture teaches mm -hmm. than anything else um, yeah. when it comes, to, including what I believe or what I think is that's all subordinate to that. Yeah. So what else have we got? It would yeah, cult. I mean, relationally, culturally, it'd be a lot more pleasant just to be yeah, able oh to yeah, find that yeah. Okay. Well, you don't. I think you don't get specific again until Romans one. Yeah. You've got the stuff we already talked about about the the gene the general category of sexual immorality or proneo right. includes that, but the specific addressing of homosexuality is going to come back up until Romans one. Right. So when people, um, but, but I do want to comment when people say Jesus doesn't reference homosexuality, I do not think that is an accurate way, an accurate statement. Mm -hmm. He references sexual immorality and homosexuality is in the Hebrew list. Like understanding. Yeah. Of it. That's why I said, and like if, if I said, Hey, there are cars out there and you went outside and said, that's not a car. It's a Ford. Yeah. I would say, but a Ford is a type of car. Like that's a, so it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. you. Just, that's why it's important though, to know 
what specifically you're saying, though, because if you're saying Jesus never said the word, then yes, that's yep, so accurate. That is accurate. But, yep. Technically, yep. that's right. Okay. So Romans 1. Yep. <coughs> yeah. Oh so the word, <clears throat> this is this is down the, if you consider Romans 1 to be this downward spiral moving away from truth, um, this is probably halfway down. Because yep. they've turned away, so they suppressed God's revelation. That's um, like 18 through 21, um, or 18 through 20. And then they turn to their own thinking. And then it turns to sexual indulgence. It's just the lust of their hearts, where they're dishonoring their bodies with, with one another. Then you get to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise give up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Some versions say for their perversion. I think it's interesting to note that's the third re reference of things being exchanged there in Romans 1. Mm -hmm. Um they exchanged God's glory um, for images. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they end up serving the creature, which is what we do today. We worship our bodies and accomplishments and stuff. And then the third one is we exchange natural relations. So the thing that's significant about the reason I like going to this Romans one passage is people will try to say a, that Paul either maybe didn't understand homosexuality and the, my, one of my points is like, it was all around him in the culture. Like it was not a foreign thing to Paul. Like it was in Roman culture all over the place. Absolutely. Um, That's silly. But also the people try to argue like, um, well, just that he's, that he's dealing with passions that you have and your feelings and stuff. And if you read it, literally Paul is just talking about anatomy. He's talking about, he does say that it's a dishonorable passion and things like that. But when he says what they exchange is the natural function, literally in the Greek, it means um, produced by nature, like what you're born with. And then function, the word creases literally means sexual use. And so the, actually the new American standard translates it function uh, more literally a natural function of the, of the male. So like body. actually so it's a matter how of, the bodies work. Yeah, yeah, how, how you're designed, how male anatomy and female anatomy is designed for each other. That's what they're exchanging um, in that situation. So he's not even talking about how you feel or what you're drawn to or what your, um, you know, attraction is. He's just saying they're exchanging this. And I think it's significant that in the first section in verse 18, he's saying you can look at God's creation and figure out some things that there's a God you should worship. And I think he's using the same line of reasoning here where he's saying, like, you can look at your bodies and figure it out. Like, it's pretty clear that this is the natural use um, of bodies. And we've talked about it, you know, before that we all have our own complete circulatory system and nervous system and respiratory system, but we only have half of a reproductive system. And there's a corresponding part in the opposite sex. Right. Um and so, anyway, so people... Well, yeah, that's an interesting... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just saying that's an interesting point because I think the two thing, the 
two arguments that I've heard against this are one that, you know, Paul is not condemning homosexuality in culture, but like the more, they would say the more prevalent use of it, which was pedophilia or, um, slave, you know, like sex slaves, which was Uh common in Rome, but I don't think you can make the argument that homosexual sexuality can like consensual gay relationships weren't, um, present. And then the other thing is that, um, the argument about nature, um, that it's like, well, this does feel natural. Like we've talked about before. If he's, Mm -hmm. he's saying that, um, against nature and it's like, well, this, this is in line with my nature. This is how I was made. Therefore it's not included. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why, again, I think that word function is really important or yeah. natural use because he's not talking about how you're feeling. It's, it's your desires. Like I believe you that you have those desires. What he's saying is it's not the right use of the male anatomy or the female anatomy mm-hmm. uh, to engage in. Like that's not the way it's designed. And there's another passage where he uses a word that addresses both consensual and the active or the passive act in homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Right. But this one is, he's really just talking about just the way our bodies are designed. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, again, when we look at it, I think it is, it's relatively clear what he is describing here. And I think it would be hard to, I, th- I think you have to kind of say something is here that isn't, or say something isn't here that is in order to say that Paul doesn't intend to put all homosexual behavior women and men under these in this description here, Mm -hmm. what he is referring to as shameless acts. Um, So, and he's arguing from two or three different perspectives. One is he's arguing from the legal, the law perspective, meaning these are dishonorable passions that God has given them up to. So that's Mm -hmm. one. Um, Two, that it is also unnatural and that you can tell that just by looking and, Mm -hmm. and knowing enough about the natural engagement. Yeah. So it's it is a his argument for it, it that it exists that what he's describing seems clear based on the conversation about nature, men and women, passions, all those things that it is immoral fits within the context of the entire passage of exchanging. He's not just describing that it happens. He's also saying it's it's a con- it's a consequence of judgment um, that people fall that people fall into these sins. So. Um, and I don't think yeah. in that passage we would say he's denying that, like you're saying, shared that those feelings are real because in our sure in our broken state they do feel it is possible for them to feel natural. You know, like I know Jackie Hill Perry says a lot, like in my brokenness and in my sin, like my attraction to women feels more natural than any attraction to men I've had. But that doesn't mean that that just means that I'm, I'm broken. Um, like, you know, every other believer, does that make sense? Like he's not denying, like you're saying that it may feel natural, but that's, that's not included in the passage. So, yeah. Right. I like, uh, Rosario Butterfield. I mean, he's written so well and spoken so well on all of this topic from her conversion story. And I like that she emphasizes the quote I like where she talks about this new gospel, ignited power of a new affection. And she says, and this is quoting her, that new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus. 
mm-hmm. my Jesus, my friend and savior. I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. Mm-hmm. And I think she's getting into what the real issue is, is it's not a matter of, um, well, it's a matter of the heart. Like that's, what's going on there. It's whether or not you're, you're going by what you, you want to do or what, you know, your flesh feels is natural, but ultimately what people need is not just deliverance from homosexuality. They need deliverance out of unbelief and put their trust in, um, in the Lord. So it's, this is important to understand in Greek thought, there was two, there were only really, as I understand it correctly, this isn't an expert on this, but there were two sources. One is law and the other is nature. Mm -hmm. And so there are two, two sources for things outside of God. And that's one is what man creates Mm -hmm. that exists Mm -hmm. because man has created it. And the other is that exists despite man, or even though man isn't the one who created it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, that's why, I mean, the word here, the, the, the Greek word nature is the word that we use in physics or physical or um, metaphysical or things like that. Like it's a, it, it means something that is something that is found beyond just the conventions of man. That if you look at how things are before you assign meaning to them, you can see what they are. Mm-hmm. And, and so in this case, when someone says it feels more natural, they're now using the word natural in a modern English sense, not yeah. in the Greek mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that would actually be the opposite, techne, or some other, something like, or psyche, actually mm-hmm. probably be a good one. That they're saying, I am experiencing it in my internal experience. It seems more natural, okay? Mm-hmm. That is a man-made, per, or a human-made, and, you know, maybe Jackie Hill Perry or whatever, that would be her, that's her experience that yeah, she's projecting right. onto the world. Right. That's the opposite of the Greek word, which means a truth that is projected from the world onto us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not from not necessarily from God. This, this is why in the early America, in the Founding Fathers, you had this big debate going on between um, God-given reality and natural law. Mm-hmm. And so there's God's law and there's natural law, and those do not always line up, mm. but they line up enough that you have the a philosopher like the Apostle Paul will point out where they align. They don't always align. They don't have to align. But Paul points out several times where they do align in his writings, and this is one of them. The God-given law is clear, and for those of you who are Romans, and you may not know the God-given law, the natural mm-hmm. law will also inform you, this is abomination. So that's a good point. Yeah. Good. Well, so next time we can unpack more passages and then equally, um, you know, dive into how we should engage with actual, you know, human beings, friends, loved ones. Absolutely. And I know it's, it's, you know, uh, Colson may want to put it on the show notes. I think it's under the heading of clobber passages. I responded, someone sent me a book, an article slash book, um, on this exact, like uh, of a, something of a scholar, uh, at least a self-proclaimed scholar, um, whose name, last name is Lings, L-I-N-G-S, and wrote a book about the clobber passages. And I wrote my response to each of his main arguments uh, at chrismleg.com as well. And it's pretty technical and it's can be even hard to follow at times, but, um, but it might help somebody to be able to even begin to unpack these more and it's not like I'm done done at first or best there's plenty of other people out there who have unpacked these really well um, on both sides of the conversation great very good all right great thanks guys 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.